0: This is a 77 WABC special presentation. This is Joe Biden's first State of the Union
1: address with commentary by Rita Cosby. Now, here's Rita Cosby.
2: And welcome, everybody, to 77 WABC's coverage of President Joe Biden's first State of the Union address. It is expected to start at any moment, and we will be with you for the hour as we go through this very important address to the nation and literally to the world. And think about what an incredible time this is at this moment. Not only are we dealing with, of course, Crime, inflation, immigration, supply chain problems, many of these problems that existed before the war in Ukraine. But, of course, the war against Ukraine by Russia will be front row and center. And this comes at such a pivotal time for this American president, who, if you look at some of the latest numbers, according to approval polls, has been absolutely plummeting in the numbers And in fact, when he gave an address to Congress, which took place in April, at that time when he was addressing Congress, that was not his first State State of the Union address, just a regular address basically to full Congress. And at that moment, his approval ratings were 13 points higher than they are today. And if you look at some of the numbers where he is in courting even with independents, he is basically getting about 30 percent approval rating and many people very dissatisfied at his performance with the withdrawal from Afghanistan and obviously the economy and many, many other areas, and especially of late, his handling of the war against Ukraine. And this comes as President Zelensky of Ukraine has been pleading for the world's help and, in fact, gave a very emotional address to the European Union just a few hours ago where he said to the European Union, I need your help. I need to know that you are here with us. And he even had a direct plea for President Biden and said that he hopes that tonight, at any moment, that President Biden will address certain things about Ukraine and absolutely be forceful against President Putin. He feels that America and the world at least have been coming to his aid, but he wants much more aid because, as we all know, that convoy that's about 40 miles long is coming close to their capital city. And so a very heartfelt, very strong comments coming from President Zelensky of Ukraine just a few moments ago addressing directly To President Biden saying this is what he hopes that he will hear from the president of the United States at any moment. Here's President Zelensky.
1: I think, first of all, he's a world leader. And it's very important for people in the United States to understand that despite the fact that the war is taking place in Ukraine, it's essentially for values in life, for democracy, for freedom. Therefore, this war is for all the world. And that message should be sent far and wide, from Ukraine to people in the United States, so they understand what it is like for us here, what we're fighting for, and why support for Ukraine matters.
2: And this comes at a time where we are hearing that President Putin has stepped up the war on Ukraine and indeed is using cluster bombs that he is targeting civilian areas as we speak. And this is President Zelensky describing what happened just a few hours ago and the damage in the second biggest city of Ukraine.
1: And this morning was a very tragic one for us two cruise missiles hit Kharkiv the city which is located to the borders of the Russian Federation. There were always many Russians there and they 're always friendly, there were warm relations there. More than twenty universities are there it 's the city that has the largest number of universities in our country. The youth is bright, smart there. The people who gathered there all the time and was gathering there all the time for celebrating all the celebrations on the largest square in our country, the freedom Square. And and this is the largest square in Europe. And that's true. This is called the Freedom Square. Can you imagine this morning, two cruise missiles hit this Freedom Square, dozens
2: of killed ones. This is the price of freedom. And boy, what a price of freedom, Ukrainian! People are paying right now as we speak again as darkness goes over the major cities there in Ukraine. And any moment we're going to be hearing from the president of the United States, President Joe Biden, talking about will they do more things? Will they step up? Will he finally do what a lot of people are saying, including Joe Manchin, who's a Democrat in his party, saying, why won't you allow more energy independence? Why won't you allow drilling in the United States? Why won't you allow certain policies to reverse that have created some of this dependence on Russian oil? The fact that America continues to buy Russian oil and stop the Keystone Pipeline and stop so many of these things Many, many people, even Democrats within Joe Biden's own party, have said enough. You need to reverse your green energy policies and right now start energy independence in this country. Tonight, many people are wondering, will Joe Biden do that? I don't think he will, but we'll be watching this and listening to it together, everybody. But that would be certainly the pivotal thing, because that money that we are going to buying, actually gas and oil from Russia, is actually basically going to fund cluster bombs and so much more. And we understand now here is the President of the United States being introduced on Capitol Hill. Take a listen.
1: Members of Congress, I have the high privilege and distinct honor of presenting to you the President of the United States.
0: Thank you, thank you. Thank you all very much. Thank you, general. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all very very much. Thank you. Please. Thank you so much. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President and our First Lady and second gentlemen. Members of Congress and the Cabinet, Justice of the Supreme Court, my fellow Americans. Last year, COVID-19 kept us apart. This year, we're finally together again. Tonight, tonight we meet as Democrats, Republicans, and Independents, but most importantly, as Americans. With the duty to one another, to America, to the American people, to the Constitution, and an unwavering resolve that freedom will always triumph over tyranny. Thank you. Six days ago, Russia's Vladimir Putin sought to shake the very foundations of the free world, thinking he could make it bend to his menacing ways. But he badly miscalculated. He thought he could roll into Ukraine and the world would roll over. Instead, he met with a wall of strength he never anticipated or imagined. He met the Ukrainian people. President Zelensky, to to every Ukrainian, their fearlessness, their courage, their determination literally inspires the world. Groups of citizens blocking tanks with their bodies, everyone from students to retirees to teachers, turned soldiers defending their homeland. And in this struggle, President Zelensky said in his speech to the European Parliament, Light will win over darkness. The Ukrainian ambassador to the United States is here tonight sitting with the First Lady. Let each of us, if you're able to stand, stand and send an unmistakable signal to the world. To Ukraine. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. She's bright, she's strong, she's resolved. Yes, we, the United States of America, stand with the Ukrainian people. Throughout our history, we've learned this lesson. When dictators do not pay a price for their aggression, They cause more chaos. They keep moving. And the cost, the threats to America and America to the world keeps rising. That's why the NATO alliance was created to secure peace and stability in Europe after World War II. The United States is a member along with 29 other nations. It matters. American diplomacy matters. American resolve matters. Putin's latest attack on Ukraine was premeditated and totally unprovoked. He rejected repeated, repeated efforts at diplomacy. He thought the West and NATO wouldn't respond. He thought he could divide us at home in this chamber, in this nation. He thought he could divide us in Europe as well. But Putin was wrong. We are ready. We are united, and that's what we did. We stayed united. We prepared. Extensively and carefully, we spent months building coalitions of other freedom loving nations in Europe and the Americas, from America to the Asian and African continents to confront Putin. Like many of you, I spent countless hours unifying our European allies. We shared with the world in advance what we knew Putin was planning and precisely how we would try to falsify and justify his aggression. We countered Russia's lies with the truth. And now, now that he's acted, the free world is holding him accountable, along with 27 members of the European Union, including France, Germany, Italy, as well as countries like the United Kingdom, Canada, Japan, Korea, Australia, New Zealand, and many others, even Switzerland, are inflicting pain on Russia and supporting the people of Ukraine. Putin is now isolated from the world more than he has ever been. Together, 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 along with our allies, we are right now enforcing powerful economic sanctions. We're cutting off Russia's largest banks in the international financial system. Preventing Russia's central bank from defending the Russian ruble, ruble, making Putin's $630 billion war fund worthless. We're choking Russia's access. We're choking Russia's access to technology that will sap its economic strength and weaken its military for years to come. Tonight, I say to the Russian oligarchs and the corrupt leaders who built billions of dollars off this violent regime, no more. The United States... I mean it. The United States Department of Justice is assembling a dedicated task force to go after the crimes of the Russian oligarchs. We're joining with European allies to find and seize their yachts, their luxury apartments, their private jets. We're coming for you, ill-begotten gains. And tonight, I'm announcing that we will join our allies in closing off American airspace to all Russian flights, further isolating Russia, and adding additional squeeze on their economy. He has no idea what's coming. The ruble has already lost 30% of its value. The Russian stock market has lost 40% of its value. And trading remains suspended. The Russian economy is reeling, and Putin alone is the one to blame. Together with our allies, we're providing support to the Ukrainians in their fight for freedom. Military assistance, economic assistance, humanitarian assistance. We're giving more than a billion dollars of direct assistance to Ukraine, and we'll continue to aid the Ukrainian people entry and help ease their suffering. But let me be clear, our forces are not engaged and will not engage in the conflict with Russian forces in Ukraine. Our forces are not going to Europe to fight Ukraine, but to defend our NATO allies in the event that Putin decides to keep moving west. For that purpose, we have mobilized American ground forces, air squadrons, ship deployments to protect NATO countries, including Poland, Romania, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, and as I've made crystal clear, the United States and our allies will defend every inch of territory that is NATO territory with the full force of our collective power. Every single inch. And we're clear eyed. The Ukrainians are fighting back with pure courage. But the next few days, weeks, and months, will be hard on them. Putin has unleashed violence and chaos, but while he may make gains on the battlefield, he'll pay a continuing high price over the long run. And a pound of Ukrainian people, the proud, proud people, pound for pound, ready to fight with every inch of energy they have. They've known 30 years of independence, have repeatedly shown that they will not tolerate anyone who tries to take their country backwards. To all Americans, I'll be honest with you, as I always promised I would be, a Russian dictator of fa- invading a foreign country has cost around the world. And I'm taking robust action to make sure the pain of our sanctions is targeted at Russian economy and that we use every tool at our disposal to protect American businesses and consumers. Tonight, I can announce the United States has worked with 30 other countries, to release 60 million barrels of oil from reserves around the world. America will lead that effort, releasing 30 million barrels of our own strategic petroleum reserve. And we stand ready to do more if necessary, united with our allies. These steps will help blunt gas prices here at home, but I know news about what's happening can seem alarming to all Americans. But I want you to know we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. When the history of this era is written, Putin's war in Ukraine will have left Russia weaker and the rest of the world stronger. While while it shouldn't... While it shouldn't have taken... While it shouldn't have taken something so terrible for people around the world to see what's at stake, now everyone sees it clearly. We see the unity among leaders of nations, a more unified Europe, a more unified West. We see unity among the people who are gathering in cities and large crowds around the world, even in Russia, to demonstrate their support for the people of Ukraine. In the battle between democracy and autocracies, Democracies are rising to the moment, and the world is clearly choosing the side of peace and security. This is the real test, and it's going to take—so let us continue to draw inspiration from the iron will of the Ukrainian people to our fellow Ukrainian Americans who forged a deep bond that connects our two nations. We stand with you. We stand with you. Putin may circle Kiev with tanks, but he'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. He'll never, he'll never extinguish their love of freedom, and he will never, never weaken the resolve of the free world. We meet tonight in an America that has lived through two of the hardest years this nation has ever faced. The pandemic has been punishing, and so many families are living paycheck to paycheck, struggling to keep up with the rising cost of food, gas, housing, and so much more. I understand, like many of you did. My dad had to leave his home in Scranton, Pennsylvania, to find work. So like many of you, I grew up in a family when the price of food went up, it was felt throughout the family. It had an impact. That's when one of the first things I did as president was fight to pass the American Rescue Plan. Because people were hurting, we needed to act and we did. Few pieces of legislation have done more at a critical moment in our history to lift us out of a crisis. It fueled our efforts to vaccinate the nation and combat COVID-19. Delivered immediate economic relief to tens of millions of Americans. It helped put food on the table. Remember those long lines of cars waiting for hours just to get a box of food put in their trunk it cut the cost of health care insurance and as my dad used to say it gave the people just a little bit of breathing room unlike the 2 trillion dollar tax cut passed in the previous administration that benefited the top 1% of americans the american rescue plan the american rescue plan helped working people and left no one behind <laughs> folks And it worked. It worked. (laughs) It worked. We created jobs, lots of jobs. In fact, our economy created over 6.5 million new jobs just last year. More jobs in one year than ever before in the history of the United States of America. The economy grew at a rate of 5.7 last year, the strongest growth rate in 40 years, and the first step in bringing fundamental change to our economy that hasn't worked for working people in this nation for too long. For the past 40 years, we were told that tax break for those at the top and benefits would trickle down and everyone would, el- would benefit. But that trickle-down theory led to a weaker economic growth Lower wages, bigger deficits, and a widening gap between the top and everyone else and then and nearly a
2: century. Look,
0: Vice President Harris and I ran for office, and I realized we have fundamental... And
2: you have been listening to the State of the Union address. This is President Biden's first. You just heard some boos uh, from Republicans that were there on Capitol Hill listening to him when he was talking about the American Rescue Plan creating jobs and essentially... They were suggesting, obviously, as many people believe, that it also created inflation, higher prices, um, many, many different issues with that. And certainly that was a very political comment on his part. And you could clearly see that Capitol Hill was very divided on that answer. The one thing they were unified on was support for Ukraine and the president saying that he is supporting the Ukrainian people, supporting President Zelensky. Uh, but so far, from what we just heard from him, no major thing that would change the war or really additionally help President Zelensky. That is the bottom line. Tonight, President Zelensky, as you heard, was pleading for President Biden's help to maybe create a no-fly zone, to maybe bring in more arms, more weapons, uh, to maybe also stop purchasing Russian oil. And we just heard President Biden here on 77 WABC saying that they will tap into the strategic oil reserves, that they will actually get 60 million barrels, which is a lot, 30 million from the United States. But there was no reference of stopping or sanctioning Russian oil because that's something that the U.S. continues to buy to this day. We're going to go to a quick break now, and when we come back, we're going to continue with our coverage of President Biden's State of the Union address that so far has not necessarily been the State of our Union as strong, sadly. It's a State of our Union, I think, is confusing still under this president.
0: President Joe Biden's first State of the Union. Now, here's Rita Cosby.
2: And we are continuing now our live coverage of President Biden's State of the Union address, his first one. By the way, he did an address to Congress. That was April 28th of last year. That was not an address considered an address, you know, a State of the Union per se. And in there, he went about an hour. So far, he has been talking about 20 minutes or so. And he is basically... In tonight's address so far, which is indeed his first State of the Union, and there are representatives, it looks pretty packed there, in Congress. By the way, a number of people didn't come. Marco Rubio said he didn't want to come. Um, because he said of some of the covid testing restrictions that were required to actually be in the hall, even though most of them are not wearing masks from what we can see. What a surprise. He lifted some of the mask mandates and some of these other mandates a few days right before State of the Union made an exception for State of the Union. Um, but here he is tonight talking first again about Ukraine because that is the biggest topic in the world right now and something everybody around the world is concerned about. And so far we have heard nothing from this president that dramatically helps the Ukrainian people other than what he has basically done so far in terms of the stepped levels of sanctions One of the things he did talk about, and this was something that was expected, but he had talked about closing off now U.S. airspace to all Russian flights. What he did also point out was that he is following basically the European Union. So far, this president has been really traditionally following the European Union. It seems like almost every step of the way in terms of what's happening with Ukraine as opposed to leading the way. And in fact, he even recognized that tonight by saying, yes, we're going to be doing what the European Union's already doing. And we are planning to close off U.S. airspace, not the first ones to do it, but one of the last ones to actually do it. So it was a little hard to hear him basically saying that we were prepared, too. That was the other thing that struck me by his comments, saying we were ready. A lot of people who have been following the Ukraine crisis, like many of you, might beg to differ with that statement because... It certainly didn't seem like we were ready in terms of not doing any sanctions ahead of time. Nothing basically preemptive done to stop Vladimir Putin, who is now into his seventh day. Basically, they're battering the country of Ukraine. And now we understand they have been using cluster bombs. They have also been using thermobaric bombs, which actually are incredibly destructive. They basically burn everything within the vicinity of the bombs. Um, so now he has taken it one step further. Also, that 40-mile convoy of Russian military coming closer and closer to the capital city of Kiev in Ukraine. And so far, nothing tonight, despite the pleas from Vladimir, from uh, Lazinski there, who has been pleading left and right, the Ukrainian president. I want to hear strength tonight, is what he said a few hours ago, to this President. They even spoke on the phone a few hours ago, too, and had a very strong conversation. And then Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, who I think has just been an incredible hero to the world and an inspiration to the world, came out and said, I am begging this president tonight during this State of the Union address to say something that's going to change the course of our country's future. I'm begging him to maybe do something dramatic like shut off U.S. purchases of Russian oil and gas. And we did not hear that from this president tonight. We didn't hear anything about opening up the ability of Keystone Pipeline, opening up leases for oil and gas on federal lands in the United States. We did not hear anything whatsoever that would change the course of the war for the Ukrainian people. Nothing about a no-fly zone, even though a lot of people you know, say that that is a very difficult you know, road to go, because that could potentially put the United States and other countries in if they were to implement a no-fly zone over Ukraine. And for that particular reason, um, many people believe that the no-fly zone would just be a very, very difficult thing to do. But... Many people said what really is the key is going after Vladimir Putin where it would really hurt. Not just the step level sanctions that we've been talking about that you heard from the president's swift sanctions. They put some sanctions on swift banking. But guess what? They put basically the sanctions on like five banks. There is about two or three hundred that are in the swift banking system. So they left out some of the biggies. And they also are not going after or halting U.S. purchases of Russian oil and gas. Think about this. Tonight, there is something that America and that the world could do and say, we're not going to be buying any Russian oil or gas. That is basically the financial lifeline and bloodline for President Putin, that he's using the funds from there to buy bombs and weapons that he's using against the Ukrainian people. So that would be the easiest way, in addition to all of these other steps that they have done cohesively with some of the sanctions and now shutting off U.S. airspace, the so Russian planes. We know that a number of production companies are not going to be working in Russia. You know, sports events, all these different layers, airlines, these things have happened. But if we do not shut off the primary source of funds that Vladimir Putin is taking in, and it's a lot of money, by the way, just to give you a sense Joe Biden's America is basically paying Putin $70 million a day with oil and gas. Think about that with oil imports. That is a staggering amount of money. And that's just the United States. Think about the money that he's getting from Europe. And if that had turned around, and if this president tonight, who has been pushing for green energy and pushing for environmental issues, and that's why he canceled Keystone Pipeline, remember, on day one, he wrote it off and canceled and lost 11,000 U.S. jobs and said, oh, this is the way to go. We're going on green energy. Many people right now were saying the right thing to do is say we are temporarily reversing that for the good of national security and the good of world security. And that way we would not have to import any Russian oil or gas. And I am asking European countries to do the same. Think about what a courageous leader and what a bright move that would be right now for the world and how that would literally cut off the head of Vladimir Putin right now, who is at this point pushing a 40-mile convoy on its way to the capital of Kiev and about to surround the biggest capital city there in Ukraine and already has been hitting cluster bombs. And, in fact, in the last few days, we know that he has hit hospitals. He has hit uh, TV towers. He uh, also hit even the Holocaust Memorial. Uh, Nothing is off limits with Vladimir Putin. And we understand that right now the president is also talking about inflation. He is also talking about green energy And so far, we have heard nothing from him that is changing or reversing his policies. Why is he not, you know, saying for the good of the country, for the good of the world, we need to do something different? Maybe I made a mistake. He's clearly cowtailing to many of the progressives in his party who have been pushing him to go for wind energy, for solar energy, to stop this federal drilling. And this, you know, leasing of issues that are happening on federal land for oil and gas. And again, that has tremendously hurt our gas prices. And many of these problems that we saw that have now been escalated because of what's happened in Ukraine actually started well before the war a few days ago. You know, we saw prices increasing. We've seen inflation increasing. Uh, Oil, the price of oil has now hit. Uh, it's a seven year high. It's an enormous year high that we have seen in the last you know, few days. It's one hundred and seven dollars a barrel. Gas has gone up tremendously. And some of these things, many of them have happened well before the war in Ukraine as a result of his energy policies. And we understand he's talking about energy right now. Let's go back to President Biden at the State of the Union.
0: Set the price for V.A. drugs. Look, the American Rescue Plan is helping millions of families with Affordable Care Act plans to save them $2,400 a year on their health premiums. Let's close the coverage gap and make these savings permanent. And second, let's cut energy costs for families, an average of $500 a year by combating climate change. Let's provide an investment tax credit to weatherize your home and your business to be energy efficient and get a tax credit for it. Double America's clean energy production in solar, wind, and so much more. Lower the price of electric vehicles, saving another $80 a month that you're not going to have to pay at the pump. <laughs> folks, <laughs> third, the third thing we can do to change the standard of living for hardworking folks is cut the cost of childcare. Cut the cost of child (laughs) care. Folks, if you live in a major city in America, you pay up to $14,000 a year for child care per child. I was a single dad for five years, raising two kids. I had a lot of help, though. I had a mom, a dad, a brother, and a sister that really helped. But middle-class and working folks, shouldn't have to pay more than 7% of their income to care for the young children. My plan, my plan would cut the cost of child care in half for most families and help parents, including millions of women who left the workforce during the pandemic, because they couldn't afford childcare to be able to get back to work, generating economic growth. But my plan doesn't stop there. It also includes home and long-term care, more affordable housing, pre-K for three- and four-year-olds. <clears throat> All these will lower costs for families. And under my plan, nobody—let me say this again—nobody earning less than $400,000 a year will pay an additional penny in new taxes, not a single penny. <clears throat> I may be wrong. My guess is, if we took a secret ballot in this floor, that we'd all agree that the present tax system ain't fair. We have to fix it. I'm not looking to punish anybody, but let's make corporations and wealthy Americans start paying their fair share. Look, last year, last year, I'm like. Chris Coons and Tom Carper and my distinguished Congresswoman, we come from the land of corporate America. There are more corporations incorporated in America than every other state in America combined. And I still won 36 years in a row. The point is, even they understand you should pay just a fair share. Last year, 55 of the Fortune 500 companies earned $40 billion in profit and paid zero in federal taxes. Now, look, it's not fair. That's why I proposed a 15 percent minimum tax rate for corporations. We've got. And that's why in the G7 and other meetings overseas, we're able to put together. I was able to be somewhat helpful. 130 countries degree on a global minimum tax rate. So companies can't get out of paying their taxes at home by shipping jobs and factories overseas. It'll raise billions of dollars. And that's why I propose closing loopholes for the very wealthy who don't pay, a, who pay a lower tax rate than a teacher and a firefighter. So that's my plan, but we have to go in more detail later. I'm going to grow, we will grow the economy, lower the cost of families. So what are we waiting for? Let's get this done. We all know we've got to make changes. Folks. And while you're at it, confirm my nominees for the Federal Reserve, which plays a critical role in fighting inflation. My plan will not only lower costs and give families a fair shot, it will lower the deficit. The previous administration not only ballooned the deficit with those tax cuts for the very wealthy corporations, it undermined the watchdogs, the job of those to keep pandemic relief funds being wasted. Remember we had those debates about whether or not those watchdogs should be able to see every day how much money we was being spent, where was it going to the right place? But <clears throat> In my administration, the watchdogs are back. And we're going to go after the criminals who stole billions of relief money meant for small business and millions of Americans. Tonight, I'm announcing that the Justice Department will soon name a chief prosecutor for pandemic fraud. And look. I think we all agree. Thank you. By the end of this year, the deficit will be down to less than half of what it was before I took office. The only president ever to cut the deficit by more than $1 trillion in a single year. Lowering your cost also meant demanding more competition. I'm a capitalist, but capitalism without competition is not capitalism. Capitalism without competition is exploitation. It drives up profits. When corporations have to compete, their profits go up and your prices go up when they don't have to compete. Small businesses and family farmers and ranchers, I need not tell some of my Republican friends from those states. Guess what? you got four basic meatpacking facilities. That's it. You play with them, or you don't get to play at all. And you pay a hell of a lot more. A hell of a lot more because there's only four. See what's happening with ocean carriers and <clears throat> moving goods in and out of America. During the pandemic, about half a dozen or less foreign-owned companies raised prices by as much as 1,000 percent and made record profits. Tonight, I'm announcing a crackdown on those companies overcharging American businesses and consumers. And folks... And as Wall Street firms take over more nursing homes, quality in those homes has gone down and costs have gone up. That ends on my watch. Medicare is going to set higher standards for nursing homes and make sure your loved ones get the care they deserve and that they inspect and they will look at closely. We're also going to cut costs to keep the economy going strong and giving workers a fair shot, provide more training and apprenticeships, higher them based on skills, not just their degrees. Let's pass the Paycheck Fairness Act and pay leave. Raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, and extend the child tax credit so no one has to raise a family in poverty. Let's increase Pell Grants, increase our historic support for HBCUs, and invest in what Jill Our first lady who teaches full-time calls America's best-kept secret, community colleges. Look, let's pass the PRO Act. When a majority of workers want to form a union, they shouldn't be able to be stopped. When we invest in our world... And
2: you are listening to the State of the Union address, the very first one for President Biden. And he's talking about a lot of domestic issues And right now, basically, one thing was interesting, you just mentioned that they are announcing a chief prosecutor for pandemic fraud to go after those individuals and companies that defrauded the United States during the pandemic, claiming that they maybe lost business or they had X amount of employees. There were billions of dollars of fraud as it's been discovered coming from a number of individuals inside and outside the United States, but saying that he is going to announce a chief prosecutor to look into that. Um, Also talking about a 15% minimum tax rate for corporations. uh, That got tepid applause, needless to say, from Republicans that were inside the hall. Also calling for a $15 an hour minimum wage for average Americans. Um, Also saying about Medicare, uh, that he would allow Medicare to negotiate Uh, the price for prescription drugs, um, and also on the issue, again, of Ukraine. Uh, So far, a missed moment. One of the things is interesting, and a lot of people are reporting this now, that when he was talking about the Ukrainian people, he kept using the word Iran by accident as opposed to the word Ukraine. And, in fact, he said, quote, Putin may circle Kiev with tanks, but he'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people as opposed to Ukrainian people. I thought he had misspoke, but indeed he did, calling them the Iranian people as opposed to the Ukrainian people. And so far, I feel this has been an incredible missed opportunity for this president, which has not changed any of his policies that have Contributed to our reliance still to this day of Russian oil and gas that is basically supplying Putin with all his armaments that are being used against the Ukrainian people, not the Iranian people, but the Ukrainian people, Mr. President. Uh, But it is an unbelievable situation. And so far, I haven't heard anything that has really been galvanizing throughout this state of the union address we're going to continue covering this we're going to have a quick break this is rita cosby and we're going to continue with our live coverage of president biden's first state of the union address and what he's saying and what he's not saying after the break
0: president joe biden's first state of the union now here's rita cosby
2: and we continue now with our live coverage here on 77 WABC, President Biden's first State of the Union address. Uh, by the way, interesting comment from the president just saying, quote, we will leave no one behind. He is referring to the economy in America because he's certainly not referring to Afghanistan because he definitely left people behind in Afghanistan. And we also have heard no reference to borders, to immigration, no reference to crime, Those are obviously very important issues. He has made references to continuing his green energy policies and building green energy jobs, which many people right now feel that that is absolutely not the right way to go at the expense, certainly, of being reliant on Russian oil and being reliant now by not allowing federal drilling. This is amazing remember Anwar remember Keystone pipeline so many of these different issues and his role of moving america from energy independence which it certainly was at least in 2019 and where we were in next export net exporter of oil and gas to countries overseas now we are reliant so much so that we're reliant on russia and many people were wondering would he take the step tonight to say to his party the far left of his party that has been pushing him over and over again to keep pushing for green energy climate change all these things and that certainly has added to our gas prices oil prices all of these issues that we have seen over and over again Um, We understand he's going to be talking shortly um, a little bit about crime. Let's take a listen, if we can, because we understand he may be touching on that area now.
0: We can't change how divided we've been. There's a long time in coming. But we can change how to move forward on COVID-19 and other issues that we must face together. I recently visited New York City Police Department days after the funerals of Officer Wilbur Mora and his partner, Officer Jason Rivera. They were responding to a 9-11 call when a man shot and killed them with a stolen gun. Officer Moore was 27 years old. Officer Rivera was 22 years old. Both Dominican-Americans who grew up in the same streets that they later chose to to, uh, patrol as police officers. I spoke with their families, and I told them they were forever in debt for their sacrifices. And we'll carry on their mission to restore the trust and safety of every community deserves. Like some of you that have been around for a while, I've worked with you on these issues for a long time. I know what works. Investigating crime prevention and community policing, cops who walk the beat, who know the neighborhood, and who can restore trust and safety. Let's not abandon our streets or choose between safety and equal justice. Let's come together and protect our communities, restore trust, and hold law enforcement accountable. That's why the Justice Department has required body cameras, banned chokeholds, and restricted no-knocks warrants for its officers. That's why the American Rescue Plan that you all provided $350 billion that cities, states, and counties can use to hire more police, invest in more proven strategies. <clears throat> proven strategies like <laughs> proven strategies like community violence interruption trusted messengers breaking the cycle of violence and trauma and giving young people some hope. We should all agree the answer is not to defund the police. It's to fund the police. Right. Fund them. Fund them. Fund them with resources and training. (laughs) Resources and training they need to protect our communities. I ask Democrats and Republicans alike to pass my budget and keep our neighborhoods safe. And we'll do everything in my power to crack down on gun trafficking of ghost guns that you can buy online, assemble at home, no serial numbers, can't be traced. I ask Congress to pass proven measures to reduce gun violence past universal background checks. Why should anyone on the terrorist list be able to purchase a weapon? Why? Why? And folks, ban assault weapons with high-capacity magazines hold up to 100 rounds. You think the deer are wearing Kevlar vests? Look repeal the liability shield that makes gun manufacturers the only industry in America that can't be sued. The only one. Imagine had we done that with the tobacco manufacturers. These laws don't infringe on the Second Amendment. They save lives. The most fundamental right in America is the right to vote and have it counted. And look, it's under assault. In state after state, new laws have been passed not only suppress the vote, we've been there before, but to subvert the entire election. You can't let this happen. Tonight, I call on the Senate to pass, pass the Freedom to Vote Act, pass the John Lewis Act, Voting Rights Act. And while you're at it, pass the Disclose Act so Americans know who's funding our election. Look, tonight... I'd I'd like to honor someone who dedicated his life to serve this country. Justice Breyer, an Army veteran, constitutional scholar, retiring justice of the United States Supreme Court. Justice Breyer, thank you for your service. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean it. Get up, stand up and see you. Thank you. And we all know, no matter what your ideology, we all know, one of the most serious constitutional responsibility a president has is nominating someone to serve on the United States Supreme Court. As I did four days ago, I've nominated the Circuit Court of Appeals, Katanji Brown Jackson, one of our nation's top legal minds. Will continue in Justice, Breyer, Justice Breyer's legacy of excellence. A former top litigator in private practice, a former federal public defender, from a family of public school educators and police officers, she's a consensus builder. Since she's been nominated, she's received a broad range of support, including the Fraternal Order of Police and former judges supported by Democrats and Republicans. Folks, if we are to advance liberty and justice, we need to secure our border and fix the immigration system. And as you might guess, I think we can do both. At our border, we've installed new technology like cutting edge scanners to better detect drug smuggling. We've set up joint patrols with Mexico and Guatemala to catch more human traffickers. We're putting in place dedicated immigration judges, a significant larger number, so families fleeing persecution and violence can have their cases heard faster and those who don't legitimately hear can be sent back. We're screening, we're securing commitments and supporting partners in South and Central America to host more refugees and secure their own borders. We can do all this while keeping lit the torch of liberty that has led the generation of immigrants to this land, my forebears and many of yours. Provide a pathway to citizenship for DREAMers, those with temporary status, farm workers, essential workers. Revise our laws so businesses have workers they need. Families don't wait decades to reunite.
2: And you have been listening to the State of the Union Address. We're going to continue with our coverage right after the break. Interesting to hear the president talk about securing our borders. I had to laugh uh, because we know that last year a historic amount have crossed into our country as a result of their open border policies. We're going to continue